It's my privilege this morning to preach uh, from 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. And this is our fifth month in a sermon series on 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is a letter written by Peter uh, to Christians in what's modern-day Turkey who are suffering under intense persecution. And um, and the passage this morning from from, uh, chapter 3, verse 8 through 12, is really a a transition passage. Uh, The last few weeks we've been hearing um, where... Peter has been teaching, and our pastors have been teaching us, where Peter's been talking about submission to authority. He's been starting big. He's been starting about submitting to the emperor, to governors, to our spouses, and before that, teaching all emperor, governors, employers, and spouses. So he's been working his way outward in, in a teaching on submission. And then this week, um, Peter is going to be transitioning back to the theme of the sermon series, which is living as suffering saints. For God's promised glory. So living as suffering saints for God's promised glory. So we're going back to a teaching on suffering and how we live in the midst of suffering as Christians. Um, So let's go ahead and dig into the passage. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would see you. Jesus, I pray that we would see you this morning in this passage. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us as we study your word. I pray that we would all leave here this morning with a greater view of Christ. God, I pray that we would leave here this morning worshiping you in our hearts because of what you've taught us in your word. God, I pray you would open our hearts, you'd give us attentive minds and hearts to hear you, that you would speak through me this morning your word to your people. Amen. Well, my kids love Chick-fil-A. I don't know how many people here love Chick-fil-A, but my kids love Chick-fil-A. Um, you like Chick-fil-A, Lana? That's awesome. So my kids love Chick-fil-A. And I asked them recently on Friday, I was asking my two oldest, uh, two, I have only two daughters, but my oldest kids, my two oldest, I asked them if they had a choice between Chick-fil-A and Disney World, what they would choose. Well, the first answer was, we want both, Daddy. Let's do both Chick-fil-A and Disney World. When that was off the table, they said Chick-fil-A. They'd rather do Chick-fil-A. Right? Now, for them, Disney World is a Disney store, so I probably should qualify that. But they said, they said they'd take Chick-fil-A over Disney World. It's, it's a magical place for them. They, they go there, they play on the slides, they get chicken and ice cream, and I guess that's what kids like to do. So, so they love Chick-fil-A. I also like Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is a, a family-run business. It's very family-friendly. They're built really on Christian values. And there's something of a, a landmark in our culture of Christian values, Christian hospitality, um, even the chicken, the fried chicken that they make, it's, it's fried in like anointed oil, so it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make you fat, so you can eat as much as you want. That's just, that's, it's true, it's true. Not, not true, okay. Um, so, so many of you may remember about four years ago, there was a controversy surrounding Chick-fil-A, and particularly um, the son of the founder, Dan Cathy. He's the president and CEO of Chick-fil-A, and in an interview, a radio interview, Dan had said, he was asked if he supports the biblical definition of marriage. And he responded saying, guilty as charged, right? For those of us who know Chick-fil-A, that doesn't seem quite surprising. It's a biblical, uh, they're, they're based on biblical values. They play Christian music, you know, in the, in the restaurants. 
But this, this, this response that he, guilty is charged for supporting the biblical definition of marriage ended up sparking an, a national controversy. Um, the mayors in Chicago and Boston and San Francisco publicly said they're not going to block any new stores in their cities. Um, the Jim Henson Company pulled the Muppets out of all of the kids' meals across the country. Uh, gay rights groups organized protests, boycotts, and kiss-offs in front of the stores. Uh, it was a big deal, and Dan Cathy himself was, was attacked. He was branded an anti-gay bigot, and he, he, was, he was called terrible names and got hate mail and all kinds of things. You see, we live in an age, we live in an age, church, where a passing comment or a Facebook post or a tweet can be retweeted, taken out of context, and judged and digitally executed, the, the perpetrator digitally executed in the time it takes to make a cup of coffee or have a Chick-fil-A biscuit, right? It takes, it doesn't take long. And, um, and that's unique today, that, that it's so quick how it happens, right? In the church in particular, we're under the microscope. We're under the microscope, and sometimes we're under fire, and some of these hot-button topics for our culture, like abortion, like uh, homosexuality, gay rights, sexual orientation, marriage. And the question that I have for us this morning, and the question I have for the text this morning, is how is the church supposed to respond when we're under attack? How are we to respond, and how are you to respond specifically when, say, your professor or maybe your boss or a coworker comes up and, and tells you that it's intolerant to believe that there's only one way to heaven? What do you say to that? How do you respond to that? Or when a, when a gay coworker, a friend, or a neighbor invites you to their wedding, what do, you, what do you do? How are we supposed to respond as Christians? How about when a friend of yours tells you that she's just had an abortion, or maybe she's considering an abortion? What are we supposed to do in response to those questions? How are we supposed to interact and respond to our culture when our, when our beliefs and, our, and the truth that we believe from God's word doesn't align with what our culture says and isn't popular? And perhaps our answers could be taken out of context and used against us, right? Well, Peter's answer to this question, it doesn't, it doesn't start where we might expect him to. He doesn't start by giving us a PR strategy or a list of apologetic responses. Uh, here's the first three things you have to say. He doesn't start there. What he tells us this morning, what he tells us in this passage is, in response to persecution, the church, what we're to do is to love in and love out. Love in and love out. We're to image Jesus in the way that we love in and love out. And that's actually the title of the message this morning. So I want to start with love in, because that's where Peter starts. And that's his first response is, what are we to do when we're under persecution? We're to love in. We're to love the brotherhood. We're to love the church. We're to love here. Love God's people. It's a little surprising. Here he says, verse 8, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So, so we have here five commands that he gives the church. Five commands he gives to God's people. All of you, that's God's people. Love in. And, and um, now this is cruel what I'm about to do, but this is, a, this is a love sandwich. I'm calling it a love sandwich. We're talking about Chick-fil-A this morning. Because right in the middle of these five commands is brotherly love. And on either side of that, we have two pairs of other commands. And I'm going to put a picture of a, of a sandwich up here. I know it's cruel. Look, I know you can't get Chick-fil-A on Sunday, and you're all going to leave here craving Chick-fil-A, but just let that help you remember the message this morning, all right? So... So we have a love sandwich. We have right in the middle, we have the, the meat, the chicken, the, the protein of the sandwich, right, is the brotherly love. And on either side of that, we have what's like the lettuce and the pickles, tender heart and sympathy. That describes the way we feel towards God's people as we have brotherly love for them. And on the outside, the buns of the sandwich are unity of mind and a humble mind. So we have those three sets of things, and we're going to talk about each of them this morning. 
And we're going to start with brotherly love. And the question is, why does, why does Peter start with brotherly love? Why does he start with loving in? And the answer to that is because Jesus started there. John thirteen thirty five. Jesus says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. By this, people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. So, so Jesus starts there. He says, people will know that you're mine by the way you love each other. By the way you love each other. You know, the... the the, the, the people outside that want to that tear us down know us by our love for each other. And as we lay down our lives for each other, what we're doing to the world around us is we're, we're demonstrating Christ to them. We're demonstrating Christ. Um, just this, just on uh, yesterday, I don't know where Eric is. Uh, I was talking to Eric about their new move into their new house. And apparently last month or two months ago, I hear you are, Eric. Uh, they moved into their brand new house. They just bought it and it was like covered. What would you say? It was like a slimy, sludgy, greasy grime over everything. Uh, the upstairs smelled like smoke. Uh, it was just nasty. And his, uh, Eric and, and his family go to a community group, and their community group found out uh, that they had this problem with their house. And for three weekends straight, families from their group started coming over and cleaning, painting, uh, picking up, bringing meals, and just, just helping them with, with this, this nasty house that they were turning into a gorgeous house. I, mean, I was there a few weeks ago, and it, was, it, was, it looked awesome. It was beautiful. And um, I think I, I heard, like, Enrique stayed until, like, midnight, like, painting walls and stuff. I mean, just sacrificially loving the Olsons. And nothing, nothing that anybody did there was heroic by itself. It wasn't any huge act of heroic service. But, but it, was, it was a lifestyle. And I believe that this is a lifestyle that marks our church, a lifestyle of loving one another. It, it marks who we are as God's people, that we love one another, that we serve one another, that we lift each other up. And, and there may not have been of a neighbor that was watching each thing that everybody did. Oh, look how much they love. One, two, three people came over. No, but, but it's a lifestyle. And as we talk to our friends and neighbors, we say, hey, you know what happened this weekend? Somebody came over and did this. Or, hey, yeah, what are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm actually going to go and take care of my friend who's, right? There's, there's a lifestyle that marks us as people who love God's people. And it's not, it's not, extraordinary a lot of times what we're doing, but it is revolutionary. It is revolutionary. People notice when God's people live this way. You see, the world is seeing Jesus alive through your actions. They're seeing Jesus in the flesh in the way that we love each other. And Peter's going to go on in this passage to describe how that love looks a little bit more. And that's where we get to the lettuce and the tomato of this sandwich, right? We talk about sympathy and a tender heart. Sympathy and a tender heart. And, and sympathy and a tender heart are two words that go together. Um, and, and together they describe an attitude of, of sharing the experiences of another, being stirred deeply in your heart for, for the needs of another and being moved to action. Right? So sympathy is, is feeling deeply and sharing in the experience of another, being moved to action on their behalf. And this is exactly what happened with the Olsons. Right? Their, their community group heard about their need. They were moved by it and moved to action. They had sympathy for each other. And when we, when we do this kind of love, we say to the world, this is the kind of God that we have. We serve a God who has sympathy for us. He's moved to action by our needs. He's moved to action by his people. He's stirred down deep and he shares in our experiences. Isn't this the God that we serve? Right? He, he doesn't, just, wasn't just content to sit up in heaven and see his people suffering. He came down as, as Jesus Christ came and dwelt among us. He took on a body of flesh. Right? This is our God and this is who we're showing the world when we love this way. That, that Jesus loves us in a way that, is, that he shares in our experiences. He's stirred down deep and moved to action. And, and this is part of why, why community groups are so essential, right? Because how, how are you going to be stirred to action by the needs of another if you don't know what their needs are? I'm not just talking about like, oh yeah, I saw on your Facebook feed that such and such happened. No, it's like actually being there to love on them, to hear from them, to, 
to understand them. And, and you know, we, community groups are the center. They're really the, at the heart of Palm Vista because that's where we learn about each other's needs. That's where we, we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice because we can actually see them. You can't, you're not really weeping with somebody if you're weeping on the other side of a, com- of a computer monitor, right? You're, you're weeping with them. You're around them, right? And, and, and that's, that's why we do community groups. And one of the things that you're going to find as you start to get, and you probably know this already, if you start to get into relationships in the church, they're messy, right? They're messy. Um, this may come as a surprise to some of you, but not everybody thinks the same way you do in the church, right? Um, not everybody dresses the same way you do, raises their kids, educates their kids, perhaps votes the same way you do. Surprise, surprise. We, we're all very different. We're different people. Um, and that's why the bun of this sandwich is unity and humility. Unity and a humble mind. Because, because you know, we live in a culture that celebrates something very different than that. We live in a culture that celebrates arrogance, independence. You know, I'm my own person. I'm an individual. I got my own rights. And they, they celebrate the strong, the independent, the arrogant. But scripture celebrates something very different. It celebrates unity and humility. And it sets us apart from the culture that we live in. And it sends a loud message to those in, our, in the world around us that there's something different happening here. There's something different than what's happening in the world around us. But, you know, we don't want, we don't, we're not just looking for one bun or the other. I don't know if any of you like open-faced sandwiches. I've never understood that. It, it makes no sense to me. Why would you have a, the whole point of a sandwich, you can pick it up and bite it. You know, if you take off the open-faced sandwich, it's just like a piece of chicken on a piece of bread. It's not a sandwich anymore, right? It's a contradiction in terms. I don't get it. The, the same thing is true in, in this case, right? Unity without humility isn't really unity. That's uniformity. That's saying, my way or the highway, if you're not like me, get out. That's not unity. That's not real unity. Unity and humility, when you have them together, that, that's a unity of mission, unity of focus, unity of that's having the same head, the same purpose, the same goal. We're going together. We may be different. We may have different views. We may have different ideas. We may think things differently. We may apply God's word a little bit differently in our lives, but we have the same purpose and goal. So we can have unity that's different than the kind of unity the world has. And this is, this, is, this is, again, this is demonstrating Christ to the world, right? This is, this is demonstrating Jesus' humility, that he counted others more significant than himself. He, he took on the form of man, right? He took on human flesh, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's Christ. And that's Christ when we live that way to each other. When we say, look, we may disagree, but we can have a real conversation. We can disagree without shouting at each other and throwing things at each other, right? And, and that's Christ's love. That's humility, and that's demonstrating Christ to the world around us. But, but God's not content to have a church, to have a people that's just insulated and they have their happy little club of Chick-fil-A goers that they just like each other and they don't worry about anybody else, right? Um, in verse 9, Peter turns our attention from inside the church back to outside the church. He says, love in, yes, love into each other. Show, show me by the way you love each other, but love out too. Bless the haters. Bless the haters. Verse 9, he says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. And skipping down, let him, turn his, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Church, we're commanded to love, we're commanded to bless the very people that hate us the very people that revile us, the people that speak ill of us, that, that want to take our words out of context and turn them against us, those are the people that we're called to bless, we're called to love, we're called to pursue, we're called to seek them, seek peace with them and pursue it. 
That's dangerous. That's dangerous. Corey preached a few weeks ago where he said, we're to do good in the very area where we're slandered. It's not just in general, just do good to people. It's do good in the very places where you're slandered, the very ways that you're spoken against. Do good in those ways. But it's dangerous because, because we might be taken out of context. We might be misunderstood. It might get worse as we get closer to people. So why would we do this? Why, why are we going to get close to the very people that want to hurt us? Well, we do it because we, the reason we bless the haters, the reason we bless the people that hate us, is because Jesus blessed us when we hated him. We bless the haters because Jesus blessed us when we were haters. That's why. And, and see, this is, this is a hope that we have that nobody else has. See, we can repay evil for evil and reviling for reviling because Jesus repaid our evil, not with more evil. He didn't repay our reviling with reviling, but he responded with love, with blessing, by dying for us, by seeking peace with us and pursuing it. That's why we can seek peace and pursue it, because Christ sought peace with us and pursued it. And we're reflecting again, we're reflecting Jesus back to the world around us when we love them this way. When we respond to reviling with love, when we respond to anger with peace, with joy, with kindness. See, when, when Jesus was persecuted, when he was beaten, when he was bruised, that verse that, that Al read this morning for the communion, right? He didn't, he didn't puff himself up with indignation, did he? Did Jesus say, oh my gosh, look at that? No, he didn't do that. What did he do? He was silent before the shears. Right? He was like a lamb silent before the shears. He was, he was silent. He didn't, his lips did not speak evil. Jesus was silent. He's the one who was kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Right? He was kind to those that were evil towards him. He was kind to us when we were evil towards him. So what does that mean for us? How do, how do we live life that way? How do we respond to the world in a way that's kind when they hate us? You know, this, is, this is tough because, look, and, and I'm talking about saying the world as if it was something out there, but the fact is in a, in a church our size, it's very likely and it, it would be surprising if we didn't have people in our congregation who struggle with same-sex attraction. This is not some external thing that's out in the world that, oh, those people that we don't know. It's here. It's, it's around us, guys. We, there, there are certainly people in our church who bury the, carry the weight of guilt from abortions in their lives. Like these topics, these issues, they're not just some political discussion. They're real, and they're people in our lives around us here, out there, that, that this affects. And we want to be, I want us to be, as people, as a church, safe places. We should, of all people in the world, be a safe place to share, a safe place to talk, where if I know nothing else, I know that they're going to love me, they're going to listen to me, they're going to understand me, because we're all broken here, and we all know it. We all know that we're broken, and we all know that all we have is Christ, right? All we have is Christ. There's nothing here to, to tell me I'm better than anybody else. And we should be a place, we should be a people where anybody can come in and say, look, here's what's going on in my life, and they know they're going to be loved and understood and listened to, not hated, not thrown phrases at, not thrown just this catchphrase and that catchphrase, but loved, listened to first and understood, right? That, that's the kind of people that we want to be. Those who are kind to the ungrateful and the wicked who count others more significant to ourselves, those who listen and understand before speaking. And guys, it's, you, can, you can be kind and you can be loving without compromising your convictions. You can be kind and you can listen, you can understand without compromising the truth. It can be done. It's dangerous. It's vulnerable. It's not easy, but it can be done. And there's a reason that we can do this. It's, it's not easy and it's hard and it's dangerous, but, but we can do it because we have a hope that nobody else has. Let's look at verse 12. It says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, 
and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. When you first read this passage, that might come off as, that's a threat. God's saying, you better do good or his eyes aren't going to be on you. No, this is not a threat. This is a guarantee. This is a guarantee. This is God is saying, do good to those who hate you because my eyes are on the righteous. My eyes are on you. My ears are open to your prayers. Literally, he's saying, my ears are leaning into your prayers. We can do good to those who hate us because because God is for us and he's against our enemies. We can, go, we can put ourselves out there and be willing to be hurt, be willing to be misunderstood because our God is for us. He's for us. It's a guarantee. That's the confidence that we have to press in and love the very people who want to hurt us. It's a guarantee and an inheritance that we didn't earn. An inheritance we didn't earn and that we cannot lose. That's what we have as a guarantee, friends. It's that inheritance that we read about in 1 Peter 1.3. An inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading and kept in heaven for us. And guys, this is the hope, by the way, that Dan Cathy had. Remember Dan Cathy at the beginning? He's the, he's the, the son of the founder of Chick-fil-A. Well, seven months after that, that whole situation happened, an article was written by Shane. And Shane is the director of the leading, uh, the leading gay rights group, campus group that was protesting Chick-fil-A. And, and here's what Shane had to say in that article. He wrote in the Huffington Post seven months later. He said, I've spent quite some time being angry at and deeply distrustful of Dan Cathy. For nearly a decade now, my organization has been on the ground with student leaders protesting Chick-fil-A at campuses across the country. The whole nation was aware that Dan was guilty as charged in his support of the biblical definition of marriage. What more was there to know? Dan is the problem, and Chick-fil-A is the enemy, right? Well, on August 10th of 2012, in the heat of the controversy, I got a surprise call from Dan Cathy. I took the call with great caution. He's going to tear me a new one, right? Give me a piece of his mind, turn his lawyers on me. The first call lasted over an hour, led to more calls and a number of in-person meetings. He had never before had such dialogue with any member of the LGBT community. It was awkward at times, but listen to this. It was awkward at times, but always genuine and kind. It's not often that people with deeply held and completely opposing viewpoints actually risk sitting down and listening to one another. That's true. Throughout the conversations, Dan expressed a sincere interest in my life, wanting to get to know me on a personal level. He wanted to know about where I grew up, my faith, my family. In return, I learned about his wife and kids and gained an appreciation for his devout belief in Jesus Christ. Dan expressed regret and genuine sadness when he heard of people being treated unkindly in the name of Chick-fil-A. But listen to this. He never offered any apologies for his genuine beliefs about marriage. He was kind, but not compromising. Never once did Dan or anyone from Chick-fil-A ask us to stop protesting. On the contrary, Dan listened intently to our concerns. Dan sought first to understand, not to be understood. Guys, Dan imaged Jesus to Shane, didn't he? He showed Jesus in, in, in the flesh to Shane. That's what he did, and that's the privilege that we have as Christians, is to show Christ to those that don't know him by the way we love them, by the way we listen to them, by the way we pursue peace with them. And guys, there was no guarantee for Dan that the protests were going to stop. He didn't even ask for it, and there was no promise of that. There's no guarantee that his words were going to be further used out of context and published and posted somewhere. And, and in our lives, there's no guarantee that as you start to love people, as you start to listen, as you start to engage in a loving, kind, but, but uncompromising way, 
There's, there's no guarantee that you're not going to have trouble at your job and perhaps lose it. There's no, co- there's no promise that you're not going to lose that friendship or, or find rifts in your relationships. There's no promise there. I mean, a few years after writing this letter, just a couple of years later, Peter himself, he was hung on a tree. He was crucified upside down. He died just a few years after this. Right? There's no promise here that, that life is going to be easy if we live the way Jesus told us to. But that's okay because our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not here. Our hope isn't in our job. It's not in our 401k. It's not in our friendships. Our hope lies in an inheritance that we did not earn and that we cannot lose. That's our hope. It's in that eternal inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. Guys, this is how the church is to respond when under attack. We're to have this hope in mind, this hope of heaven, this hope of an eternal inheritance. We're to hold on to that hope and image Jesus back into the church as we love in and out to the world as we love out. We're to put our hope in that inheritance, and that is why we're here this morning, and that is what we're to be doing as God's people is loving this way. And look, there might be people here this morning who, who have encountered Christians, maybe, maybe don't follow Jesus, but they've encountered Christians who haven't loved this way. Maybe they've been unkind or cruel to you and said things that are hurtful. And what I'd say to you this morning, if you are here, and that, that is the situation, is look, Jesus, he's the only one who's ever done this right. He's the only one who's ever done this perfectly. I'm sorry if you've been hurt. I'm sorry if someone has said something, been cruel to you and unkind, hasn't listened to understand before speaking. But we're all here this morning in this together. We're all here in this morning broken. On our own, when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead, none of us will stand on our own. None of us can stand before him. None of us. Only those who stand in Christ, who have this inheritance at their side, they're the only ones who are going to stand before Christ on that day. And I pray that you would submit to God, that you would lay your life down, repent of your sin, and let him be that inheritance, give you that inheritance for eternity that you cannot lose and that you cannot earn. And church, we're not going to do this perfectly. We're not. We're not going to do it perfectly. But what we can do is we can take one small step at a time in the right direction, right? If you're, if you're not involved in community groups, you can start going. You can go this week. I think we have community groups this week, right? Okay, you can go this week, right? Take one small step at a time, right? You can go to community group. If you're in a group, maybe invite someone over to church. If you're not, you don't usually do that, invite someone over after church on Sunday. Let's invite them over this afternoon. Have lunch with them. Get to know each other. Find out the needs of others that are in this congregation. It might mean thinking twice this week about an article that you post on Facebook. Maybe rereading that again. Let's, let's, let's evaluate the tone of that article. Maybe that, that comment on someone else's post. Does this communicate a heart? Does this communicate Jesus' heart of love, of listening first before shouting back at other people? Right? Just because it's on social media doesn't make it okay. Right? Just because it's a periscope or a tweet doesn't mean it's, it's fine to do it there. Right? We, we want to have the same kind of love, the same kind of heart of compassion, of kindness, of a tender heart in our social media presence that we do in our personal life. Right? And it may mean going deeper in that conversation with that friend or coworker and asking them some more questions, starting to draw them out, being kind, Not compromising, but kind and loving and listening and understanding. And friends, we can do that. And I pray that this week, this week would be a week where we're holding fast to that inheritance. That we cannot earn, we never earned, and we cannot lose. That that would just mark our conversations. That would set the tone for everything we do this week. In the way we communicate online, in person, everywhere. That this this would be the kind of people that we are. That we're marked by this kind of love. Amen? Let's pray. Lord... Thank you so much, Father, that you 
that you are this kind of God for us. Thank you that we have an inheritance that we cannot earn. Thank you that we have a hope that we cannot lose, Christ Jesus. Thank you that you have come, that you, you didn't just sit up in heaven and say, well, good luck with that to your people, Lord, but you came down, you became one of us, you bore our wrath on the cross, and you earned for us an inheritance that we have forever, Lord. Thank you that you are not indifferent to our sufferings, but you know them, you understand them intimately, Jesus. Thank you that you do not you do not turn away when we suffer. You do not turn away when we pray, Lord. You're not indifferent to our prayers, but you lean in and listen. And God, I pray for your church. I pray for your people this morning, that they would be people who are marked by this kind of love. God, I pray that our church would be a church that is marked by love for one another, by compassion and kindness for one another, that we would, that we would listen to each other and put each other's needs before our own, Lord, that we would sacrifice in our time and our money and our finances and our energy and our talents for one another, and that the world would see that, Lord. And then I pray that we would turn out and sacrifice and love for those around us in the community, Lord. God, I pray that we would be a place that is safe. I pray that we would be a people who are safe, that our friends, that our coworkers, that our family would know that if anybody else, they can share with us because we are a safe place. We are people who love you and that know that we're broken and that we will bring love and we will give kindness and we will listen and we will understand far and above and before anyone else. So I pray this, God, that you would give this to us in your power, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would move, Lord God, in our people and this people and us, Lord, and that you would give us this kind of love, give us this kind of hope, give us this kind of confidence that cannot be shaken. In Jesus' name, amen.